Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anything you want to open, um, you know, my, my credit card is warm. So. <laughs> Your credit card is warm. I warmed so, it up ahead of time. I'm in the meadow, a tiny little shrine to craft chocolate in lower Manhattan. And I'm with Clay Gordon. So we have Cyrene in Canada. We have Askinosi. Omnom still might be the only from the bean chocolate maker in Iceland. <laughs> so their factory is in Reykjavik. I've been there. Oh, wow. All right. Clay is the chocolate expert from Chapter 4, who took me through Whole Foods and clued me in to the corporate powers behind almost every bar on that shelf. And that experience left me longing for the independents, the small players who are crafting really good stuff out of sustainably sourced beans. Up to now on the show, we've been focusing on the handful of people working with truly wild cacao, which is kind of a unique situation. And of course, there are also hundreds of producers around the world making amazing chocolate from the small supply of high-quality farmed varieties. And as a professional journalist, I felt it would be irresponsible of me not to, you know, familiarize myself with those chocolates as well. So Clay whisked me onto the subway and under the East River to the meadow, which has about 300 bars on its shelves, displayed like fine art. And now he's talking me through them as he grabs the greatest hits. Mirazam, date paste and fennel, OMG. It's like one of my favorite bars <laughs> wow. of all time. Yeah, it's just insane. And soon, there's a stack of bars at the register, and we've even sucked in the woman running the store. All right, I'm opening Pump Street. All right, you got to get in on this, group. Sure. I haven't tried this one anyway, so oh. I'm curious. So you want to bite? Because what you want to do is you want to understand the chew, mm-hmm. how it feels as you bite down on it. So this is cold, mm-hmm. and so it's sort of fractured when I bit through it, but it easily started melting. Right? So, good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. we continue to chew a few times mm-hmm. to start the melt, rub, 
some with the tip of the tongue against the base of the teeth. Mm -hmm. That will let us know about the grittiness, the granularity, how it's refined. So there's no grit, no grain. Very, very clear. Very, very mm -hmm. smooth. Right. There's um, a little hint of acidity that goes through the way they're through. Right. So very bright, sort of up in the nose kind of thing. There's... Mm -hmm. um, you want to let him in? Yep. You're fine. Yeah, okay, great. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was Hi, good. Hey. And then a pair of unsuspecting customers comes into the store, and I can't help myself. Do you guys want to taste some chocolate? Oh, we just opened up a really good bar, great. if you want to try. We'll, we'll try. That's fine. Uh, here, go ahead. Never and... say no for chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this is a this is a dark chocolate, uh -huh. so no added milk. Oh. It's made by a small producer uh -huh. in the UK by the name UK. of Chris Brennan, uh -huh. um, who's the founder of the company Pump Street Bakery, Pump uh -huh. Street Chocolate. Uh -huh. The beans uh -huh. come from the Bachelor Hall Estate on the island of Jamaica. Wow. Now, there are some bars in And soon, we've pretty much taken over the whole store. There are open wrappers everywhere. My credit card is smoking. We're making new friends. And all I can say is, God damn, this stuff is good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It's an art. It really feels like you're eating something special. It's mm -hmm. very magical. Yeah. Because you are. Yeah, you are. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Welcome to the final chapter of Wild Chocolate. This week, we dive into the actual experience of eating real chocolate. Why does it have an almost drug-like effect on so many of us? And what can a chocolatier do to make that experience pop? And, you know, where can I get me some? For seven weeks, we've dragged you past floods and jungles, electric eels, and narco-traffickers. And this week, we're not going to do any of that. No dangers, no scandals, just bliss. So, kick back and relax. This is Dessert. From Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is Obsessions, Wild Chocolate. I'm Rowan Jacobson. Chapter 8, The Bliss Factor. Snap smart. Oh, sure. Close. Since the beginning of time, humanity's kind of been on this quest for peak consciousness. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're looking for all sorts of substances to achieve that. And whether it's through something, you know, nutritionally, or whether it's through like peak performance with, you know, athletics or meditation, you name it, it, it it's ongoing. That, of course, is Mark Christian, philosopher of chocolate. Mark is here to help us channel our bliss. Because the guy, he's been around. He's seen the big bonbon of chocolate culture from the inside out. And he's convinced that this stuff has a real power that hasn't been truly recognized. Outside of the core believers, that is. These chocolatarians, you know, mad for chocolate, chocolate maniacs. You go to their shows. Uh, they're across somewhere between a religious revival and a rave <laughs> and they're they're really amped on it and for them it's sort of like you know when do you have chocolate well, i have chocolate when i get up i have chocolate for breakfast i have chocolate for you know coffee break i have chocolate you know after lunch i have chocolate for tea with tea blah 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 in other words they have chocolate always do they know something that we don't are they on the golden path well mark says 
maybe, he actually sees a glimmer of salvation in those chocolate raves. Because in a world of increasing disunity, of splintering factions and agendas, he thinks chocolate can be a unifying force, a way to remind us of our common delights and our shared interests. The rainforest ambassador to humanity is chocolate because billions of people love it. And so as that ambassador from the rainforest, it can bring people to the rainforest, not physically, but in that portable transport called chocolate. What's really interesting about that attraction is that we don't just share it with other people across the planet right now. It also connects us to all those people who've been seeking the sublime through chocolate for thousands of years, all the way back to those first unknown people who were playing around with some pods somewhere in the jungle and stumbled onto Revelation. Mark has a theory about that Big Bang moment. Maybe it was a lazy afternoon and they were picking some pods and they didn't get into splitting them open and taking them for their juice, that pulp inside, which is what you know humans and monkeys want it for. When they maybe split some pods open or, or just you know, stored them away for an afternoon or two and it started fermenting naturally and then when a human came by and they spliced it open and boom, wow, this stuff tastes a little different, a little, oh, it's fermented, a little sour. And so, and, and then a couple hours later, oh, I'm getting a little effect here, you know? Oh, interesting. And then you can also speculate that maybe one night while they're, they're cleaning the pulp off, um, and they're around the campfire, maybe some uh, you know, seeds or beans got stuck in the campfire, you know, and then uh, the, the fire's done for the night or the next morning and they still see some of those beans and maybe somebody just by accident, you know, picked up a bean and said, hey, that tastes bad. It doesn't taste too bad. <laughs> you know, let's see what we can do with these things. And, and the process begins. Fast forward to a few thousand years ago, and cacao is helping the ancient peoples of the Americas to make their evenings extra special. They have this ritualized use of cacao. They're making beverages with it. And at the end of these evenings, they would take their vessels, their cups and plates, and smash them against the wall, Hendrix style. You know, <laughs> performative. It's, it's, we're at an end here. <laughs> and that was that. Okay, today it's bad form to smash the dishes against the wall after a little chocolate fix. But you get the idea. Chocolate is performative. It gives a little boost, makes that quest for peak consciousness a little bit easier. But here's the thing. After spending months in a land awash in cocaine and ayahuasca, I've started thinking about how there are different flavors of peak consciousness. Sometimes you want to be a jaguar gliding through the tropical night. And sometimes... You just want to be reminded of the joys of being a living, breathing, sensing human being in a garden of earthly delights. For at least 5,000 years, chocolate has helped us get there. And you'll know you're there because, well, it might feel a little bit like Mark Christian's experience after nibbling on one of his favorite bars, a Tian Gong chocolate from Vietnam. And I'm telling you, man, I was getting things like sandalwood and oud and clove, and then I was getting things like opium. When a good chocolate hits you, man, you're stoned. Like, this bar is way off the charts, you know? This thing was doing a gong on my head. 
you know? I thought I was at the Apollo getting taken off stage. You know? <laughs> this is going off. It's so like, woof. And it just kept coming and coming in these waves. It's so like, and then, then, oh, here comes the crocus. Oh, some saffron creeping in there. <laughs> it wasn't stopping. So like, there is no chocolate on earth like this. Whew. Okay, everybody, relax. Don't panic. There's enough to go around. We've been working on this for a while to make sure everybody can get their fix. And we'll give you the full scoop after the break. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. They were looking for an unknown actress. (laughs) To play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? (laughs) And author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire, it's like opening the door of an oven. And it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're they're focused on. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you remember any formative memories when you were a kid involving chocolate? First time you tasted it or first time you tasted really good chocolate? <laughs> yeah, I think when I was a kid, uh, the first chocolate I had was called surrogato. That's not a real chocolate. Uh-huh. Surrogate. 
That was the, the first <laughs> chocolate I, I ever tried. And I thought it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is Chef Salvatore Martone. Sal is a legendary pastry chef. He ran the pastry program for the Joël Robuchon restaurants, which have more Michelin stars than any restaurant group in history. And he's also executive pastry chef for Stetler Chocolate, which, as I'm sure you've figured out over the past seven episodes, is teaming up with Kaleidoscope and Louisa Abram to bring a special box of Louisa's wild chocolates to the U.S. It includes three different bars made with wild cacao from three different rivers in the Amazon, Jura, Perus, and Tocantins. And they are all incredibly rare and incredibly different from each other. I can't remember how this idea got started. It was just an idle comment like, hey, we should actually give people a chance to taste this stuff. But the next thing I knew, it was real. And Chef Sal was one of the people responsible for that. He was into it. So I was truly curious to hear why he was interested and what he thought of it. Not to mention why he thinks chocolate has such power over us in general. And to start, we have to go back to his sun-drenched childhood in Southern Italy. I remember like uh, on Sunday, my grandmother used to give me like, what was at the time equivalent to a dollar today. And I would go straight to the, to the, the this candy store and spend all my money and finish it before I even get home. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my mom would, would say like, what happened? <laughs> I bought some chocolate. She said, what is it? It's gone. <laughs> and little did you know that you were going to be a professional. <laughs> that was, that was going to be your field. Um, and one, one of the things um, I've really learned about, as I've been working on this show is the amazing range of flavors that different chocolates can have, different chocolates from different places, different cocoa beans. Are there certain qualities you look for in a chocolate? Yes. The, the origin of the chocolate is the most important thing. You know, It's the origin and the fermentation. In the beginning, you know, I never would have thought that chocolate was a fermented product, yeah. like, like a wine, like beer. You know, it, is, it is kind of strange that uh, if there is no fermentation, there is no chocolate flavor. The difference in flavor is uh, it all depends uh, from the where the beans is grown and how it's fermented and then how it's roasted. You know, chocolate making is a little bit of a combination of wine making and coffee making. Grape when you make wine, it's everything, right? A Cabernet, a Sauvignon, it's the same method, just different grape, mm-hmm. and that's the fermentation part of the chocolate. But coffee beans. You have origin, that's very important, but also roasting is super important. You know, some people roasting very slow and delicate. Some people are more aggressive on the roasting, dark roasting. And uh, and the chocolate, uh, you have both process. You have fermentation, origin, and roasting, all in one product. There is one chocolate in particular that Lisa was producing. It's called the Juara uh, River. Uh, probably I'm not pronouncing right uh, in Brazilian. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, pretty close. <laughs> the things that she done is like she uh, understood from the beginning and this was like a, a different kind of plant. And after it's roasted, it doesn't have any acidity. And there's this like very flower notes that regular chocolate doesn't have. It's very different from other chocolates. So it was very interesting to to work on this project because of that. So you've got the three three bars 
together in one box. So if, if when people get the box, they get the three bars and they can taste side by side. Yes, they are all from different parts of the Amazon River. Mm -hmm. So we have the the Jua, that is the uh, upper river, and the Purus, that's the middle, and the Tocantins, it's the the lower river on the Amazon. Each one is as as different as could be from the other one. The upper river is like uh, lychee and flowery and no acidity. And then we go to the middle, the Purus River, that's more like um, notes of banana and molasses and chestnut, so very hearty flavor. And then the lower part is like orangey zest and lemon zest and um, very like creamy and honey flavors. So as humans, we always understand things by comparison. Yeah. And there is nothing better to understand the flavor of one by comparing to the others. Right. And same factory. So the only difference is the beans themselves. The beans themselves. Chef, you must have seen this a million times. Um, when people eat chocolate, they sort of get very focused, right? They w Things that might be distracting them go away. And they are very present in the moment with their chocolate. So, and especially if, um, it, as you're describing the three, tasting the three different kinds side by side, it seems like almost like a form of meditation where people can be totally present with their senses, their smell, sense of smell, sense of taste, and come to some sort of connection with the chocolate. Um, and you must see this in restaurants all the time where uh, people are taking your, your creations and having sort of like a moment of peak experience with them. Yeah. Um... Obviously, like uh, uh, chocolate, you know, it's a big release of dopamine. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, like if you're really tasting chocolate, you know, like uh, you are, you are like like melting it slowly in your mouth and feeling all the notes of the chocolate. And uh, as you breathe, you can you, also the the smell of the chocolate has an effect on you when you're eating it, and the chocolate starts to melt because it melts body temperature. And the only thing you can feel is like this silk smooth texture. And it is a little bit of a, like a meditation. And like you said, it gives you this sense of peace and, and joy. It's a very special product. Last pitch, I swear. To order the tasting box and try those chocolates, just find the link in the show notes. Bon appetit. After the break, we go beyond the bar. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. 
And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. They were looking for an unknown actress. (laughs) To play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? (laughs) And author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire. It's like opening the door of an oven and it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're laser focused on. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have loved chocolate since I was a little girl. I wrote a cookbook called Desserts Around the World for my first ever independent school project. (laughs) Like most of the people you've heard from on this show, one of the things that brought Uncommon Cacao founder Emily Stone to chocolate was love. And then in seventh grade, I did my science project on cupcakes. It was uh, called When is a Cupcake Not a Cupcake? (laughs) That's a great title. It was really fun. I also got to make many batches of cupcakes and I basically took one ingredient out each time to see like how far I could get from it being a cupcake. Like That's so scientific. If I took out the flour, would it still be a cupcake? <laughs> I answered no. <laughs> no not really. Um, not really frostable, I would say. <laughs> but let's hold on that cupcake for a moment. Because one of the things Emily got me thinking about is what is the best form for ultimate chocolate delivery? Up to now, we've been talking about chocolate's purest form, the bar. But of course, that's just one of many ways people get their chocolate fix. And Emily's not even sure it's the best way. We actually wound up chatting about this one night 
over beers at a Belize reggae bar. Sometimes I wonder if chocolate bars are the right... Um... Totally. Yes. <laughs> you, yes. You've been there already, Oh, my huh? gosh. we got to get behind beyond the bar. Beyond the bar. Definitely. And I think some of the companies that we've seen grow the fastest in the craft chocolate space, yeah. you know, are bean to bonbon and bean to cookie and bean to brownie and, and bean to bean hot to chocolate. I couldn't get that idea out of my head. So when I was back in the States, I searched around. Like I've said, most chocolate makers just make bars, and most chocolatiers just use ready-made chocolate. But was there some culinary artist out there who knew the ins and outs of rare cacaos and worked with them to go beyond the bar? Could I find me a bean to bonbon master who could help me understand why chocolate is such a bomb for our brains, our bodies, and our souls? Honestly, the same name kept coming up. So everything in here is edible, meant to be eaten. We try to have a sculpture in here at all times. Usually it lasts about three months before somebody buys and eats it. Um, <laughs> and from his website, I could tell this was my guru. So on a cold, gray winter day, I got in my car and made the drive to a lonely temple of chocolate in Manchester, New Hampshire. Everything is art, and we usually are too busy to pay attention. <laughs> it's like, well, look, at you think about old cultures like the, the Maya and Japan before the West, right? There was no such thing as art. You painted the screen or you made things beautiful, but that wasn't art. You just did right, that, right? right? And in downtown Manchester, there's this little postage stamp shop called Dancing Lion. It's part chocolate shop, part Wonka's factory. And I'm standing inside with its proprietor. Now, why Dancing Lion before I forget? Oh, my name is Tango Lowy. Tango is a dance and Lowy's Romanian from Lion. Richard Tango Lowy is a middle-aged guy with a bandana on his head. He talks fast. You might be tempted to chalk it up to caffeine, but actually, most chocolate is very little. The real source of Rich's excitement is inspiration. He reminds me of a combination between a mad scientist and a master painter. He's just possessed by his subject. So the perception that everything is just art kind of started to infuse everything here. It became kind of unavoidable that, you know, bars, bonbons, how we serve drinks. He's definitely got the art gene, but in his former life, before he answered the siren song of chocolate, he was a physicist, and you can tell. If you're a chocolatier, the fact that it is a non-Newtonian fluid becomes a big deal with different viscosities. <laughs> when you start moving it, different viscosities once it's moving. That's See what I mean? We're a little unusual when the most chocolatiers work with like a chocolate or two. Mm -hmm. We have 20, maybe. <laughs> um, Rich was my guy, the cacao whisperer who was listening to the beans, asking them what they wanted to be, and then taking them all the way there. The front half of Dancing Lion holds a few tables, stacks of Japanese-style pottery by a local artisan, and a glass case filled with crazy creations, chocolate goddess sculptures and bonsai trees, edible raku teacups, chocolate hearts, and I mean hearts, like aortas. The back half of Dancing Lion is the mad scientist part, a pile of churning machines turning all those different beans into non-Newtonian fluids to serve as the clay for Rich and his co-chocolatier Rachel's creations. But they don't simply turn each chocolate into its own thing. They use them like a conductor might use a string section. We know that you know, from a flavor perception standpoint, your moods, your perceptions, what you've eaten, how you feel, what's going on in your life that week, all those totally. affect yeah. what you taste. And so what we need to do is we need to kind of get an overall flavor model in our brains so we'll taste formally and casually over weeks. Because different chocolates have different moods. Some are spiky and some are soft and some are cylindrical. And 
and some evolve in different ways in your mouth, and you have to really learn what a chocolate looks like so you know how to use it. If you're a fan of the super shiny, overly gilded, soprano style of bonbon you find in every other chocolate shop, you're not going to know what to make of Dancing Lion's bonbons. Rich is a disciple of wabi-sabi, the Japanese aesthetic that finds a sort of heartbreaking beauty in the fleeting nature of existence. Yeah. Uh, for for times this year, we always do a limited edition of like 12 things. And Rachel and I made these hearts, and they were beautiful. And we just... I could tell with her she wasn't happy and I wasn't happy. And I mean, they were gorgeous, but they just weren't right. And we're sitting there having tea one Monday morning. So we're just chatting and she said, we need to break the hearts. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so we take go in there and we take all these hearts. We just smash them and then glue them back together. And they were beautiful. Broken but that's what they needed, right? That aesthetic shows in all his chocolates, which have the palette of a late fall day. All bronzes and dusky skies and copper patina. You can't help but think about the incredible beauty of the world even as it slips away from you. Rich plunks two plates on one of the tables, each holding a rustic truffle. He wants to teach me how to taste, how to be in the experience, however fleeting it is, or maybe because it's fleeting. <laughs> this is, this is um, a straight-up gana ganache with a little bit of honey. It's a little bit fluffy, but melts really beautifully in your mouth. It's going to have a really high sort of bicontinuous structure to it. And then I dusted it with, enrobed it, dusted it with chai spice and Thai tea that we ground, and then enrobed it again. Um, the enrobe is a blend of Tanzania and Itanez. Wow. Just so you got that, it's a truffle with a fluffy center made from Ghana chocolate, enrobed in a mix of two other chocolates, some from Tanzania and some from Volker Lehman in Bolivia, then rolled in Chinese spices and powdered Thai tea. We pop them in our mouths, and my teeth break through the crispy shell into the creamy center, and a symphony of chocolate notes cascades over me. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Mm. So before we get that, you have, probably have questions. Yeah, like, why is that truffle so good? So we take a very much, what do we want you to experience when, when we're making a bonbon? Yeah. So what's the first thing that hits your tongue with a truffle? the chocolate on the outside. Mm -hmm. So if that was pure Tanzania, you would get berries and you would lose everything else. And I didn't want that, but I did want the acidity um, to cut against that really kind of rich, fudgy Ghana. Mm -hmm. um, so using enough, you know, maybe half Tanzania and half, you know, Bolivia brings that Tanzania down, softens it out, allows it to play in better, but still brings up the acidity a little bit. I asked him if that's the secret to chocolate's appeal, the intensity of flavor. And he says... Well, yeah, but don't forget the psychoactives. It's a feel-good drug. It doesn't give you a buzz. It doesn't make you want to get your heart going a little bit. It makes you feel good. Six different neurotransmitters, they all make you feel good. So it's a, it's a dopamine bet, right? There's THC in there. It's like you, you eat chocolate, you feel good. There's a reason that people think that, because it works. Neurotransmitters are just the molecules that the neurons in your brain use to communicate, to think. And the ones in chocolate, like dopamine, just happen to be the ones your brain uses to think deep, happy thoughts. And that brings me back to the ancient Maya and Aztec. To them, chocolate was sacred. It wasn't just the latte of the 1400s. It was their way of coming into harmony with the universe, with the cacao goddess, with their own ancestors. And they always drank it. But why? That question had been kicking around my brain for months. The Maya and Aztec were perfectly capable of eating their chocolate in solid form. And yet, they never did. 
Why? Is there something about drinking the stuff that changes the experience? That maybe brings the gods a little bit closer? I knew Rich was the guy to ask, because that's his other specialty. While one hand pursues chocolate in its most artistic and impossible forms, the other is obsessed with chocolate that has no form at all. I've done a lot of research on how people, um, basically how people originally made drinking chocolate. You know, it's the old Mex going back about 6,000 years, probably. And so we serve it pretty much the same way, this kind of similar spices, a little bit of, you know, we use heirloom Central American chilies, um, and we serve it very frothy. And then you're pouring it from on high into bowls. Into bowls. So this is about as authentic as I can make this stuff. There's no dairy in this. It's hardly sweetened. So it's just... It's uh, heirloom, mostly heirloom chocolate. We use uh, Nicaragua and Trembolidon. Uh, Calabash bowls were pretty traditional. That's not really practical for us. So our bowls have our logo and are made by a local potter. People like it. The cool thing about the bowls, you can't drink from a bowl without paying attention. <laughs> you're looking into the bowl. So you're Rich came to this insight after quietly observing people in his cafe. But we learned early on here that um, people would come in and they'd be busy and people have things on their mind. But when you pick up a bowl, you have to stop. We had these two guys come in. They were obviously lawyers and they took over a table and they had papers everywhere. They would be talking and talking and then we'd get quiet. And you look and they'd both pick up their bowls and they would drink and be like 15 seconds of nothing. <laughs> and then they'd go back to work. And we realized that, you know, there's a reason that works. We serve our tea now and we always serve our tea in bowls. We serve yeah. our coffee in bowls. We serve all bowls because... <laughs> You know, part of one of our goals is to take people out of their normal life and make them pay attention. So I try it. Rich hands me a simple pottery bowl filled with frothy chocolate, and I retreat to a corner table. I blow a window into the froth to reveal the thick brown liquid. And for the first time, I realize that when they drink a gourd of chocolate, every Mayan, every Amazonian must think, hey, this stuff looks just like my river. It's like they're drinking the lifeblood of the rainforest. And in a sense, they are. I sip the chocolate and let the aromatics of the Amazon fill my sinuses. And for a moment, I'm back there. The ancient trees, old trunks falling, new ones rising, the thick rivers spilling over the land, the frothing biology. I keep sipping. Now the neurotransmitters are seeping into my consciousness softening the edges of the New England winter outside. Just for a moment, time stands still, and the hot jungle rises out of my bowl. There's an echo of ayahuasca on the periphery, a sheen of colors merging into a brown vortex of oneness. And I just sit with it for a while. I don't know how long. An hour? A second? And then, of course... Time snaps back. The bowl is empty. And existence flows on. Thank you for listening to the show. Again, if you want to get a taste of some wild chocolate, head to stetler-chocolate.com. Link in the show notes. Wild Chocolate is a Kaleidoscope production with iHeart Podcast. Hosted and reported by me, Rowan Jacobson, and produced by Shane McKeon at Nice Marmot Media. 
edited by Kate Osborne and Mangesh Hadakudor. Sound design and mixing by Soundboard. Original music composition by Spencer Stevenson, a.k.a. Botany. Production help from Bahini Shori. From iHeart, our executive producers are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Etor. Special thanks to Laura Mayer, Kostas Linos, Oz Wallachan, Aaron Kaufman, Will Pearson, Conal Byrne, Bob Pittman, Daria Daniel, and the team at Stetler, who are helping us make a very special chocolate of our own. That's right. We're working with Louisa and others to protect the rainforest and make delicious Amazonian chocolate. Visit www.stetler-chocolate.com to taste it for yourself. That's www.stetler-chocolate.com. And if you want to hear more of this type of content, nothing is more important to the creators here at Kaleidoscope than subscribers, ratings, and reviews. Please spread the love wherever you listen. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Bruce Bozzi. On the last season of Table for Two, we had some good times with some of the best guests you could possibly ask for. Table for Two is a bit different from other interview shows. We sit down at a great restaurant for a meal, and the stories start flowing. We're back for a second season. We'll be breaking bread with Colin Jost, Michael Mann, Divine Joy Randolph, just to name a few. Listen and subscribe to Table for Two on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.